the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Monday, December 11th, week 14 of the NFL season. is almost finished. Two Monday Night Football games tonight. And oh, by the way, coming up for week 15, Saturday football is back. So get your fantasy lineups set up accordingly. Of course, we're going to dive into Shoyo Otani today, just probably not as deep as you want us to, because we don't know how deep we can go yet with this contract. We know surface numbers, some surface information. I will bring in some trends, some rankings, some stats, some thoughts on the Angels, some thoughts on the Dodgers, some thoughts on the Blue Jays. Um, but certainly we're focused on the Otani $700 million contract here today. And then a quick dive into the NFL salary cap stuff because the league has announced that they're not ready to announce the salary cap for next year, but we kind of know where it's going to be. And Spytra has kind of been living in that world already. So I'll give you an update on some cap space stuff, some draft stuff, and some conversations about where we're headed with some off-season articles and thoughts and conversations in the NFL and the NBA. That's all next. All right, this is going to be round one of the Shohei Otani contract experience. Um, I'm super reluctant to go anywhere near the numbers because, and I, I understand that you're being inundated with numbers left and right. We just don't have, we don't have numbers. All right. We have 700 million. I'll answer that question a thousand times. That's the cash he's going to make. Okay. However, there may be a ton of incentives built in. 700 is probably the base value because that's how it's being reported. These reports have been really off the past couple of years, especially with the bigger deals, especially with the deals that come with complications. Now, it's perfectly possible that the Dodgers said, F that, F that, F that, F that, 10 years, 700 million. We're deferring a ton of it. We're going to say it's Otani's idea. I don't know why that has to be a thing. The deferral stuff matters, all right? And it matters for guys like me that track the tax stuff and are trying like hell to get that as close as possible, even though it is a veritable unknown, all right? It is literally a ghost for eight months. And then come September, we start to hear some things and percolate some things. And oh, they ended up retaining this and they deferred this. And it is such a moving wheel that it is very, very complicated and very, very... The mindset has to be something is always changing. So with this contract specifically, 10 for 700 is certainly the number we're going to work off today from a surface standpoint. But it sounds like upwards of 350 million of this thing, maybe more, is deferred from 2034 and on. I, I, I have a feeling he's going to be getting paid for the next 25 years. All right? And you can call this Bobby Bonilla if you want, because that's fun. I just keep seeing that reference. You are not going to believe the numbers <laughs> that are going to come with this deferred contract. All right? This is not an apples and oranges situation. Just, just for some comp comparisons here, right? The Mookie Betts contract also signed by the Dodgers, which is 12 for 365. 120 million of that is, is deferred until just after that 12 year contract ends for another, another 12 years. So it's a 24 year cash contract. All right. It's 12 for 245 to start. And then it's 12 for 120 thereafter at a basically 10 to 11 million per year. We've got that broken down on spot track. All right. That was done more or less to free up a little bit of cash. All right. Take the burden off of the Dodgers. 
what this is going to do from a tiny standpoint is it's is it's actually going to lower the CBT number. All right. So right now on SpyTrack, it's showing at 70 million, the average salary and the CBT number, because it's all we know. What we definitely know is it's not going to be a $70 million CBT, which is good news for the Dodgers, obviously. All right. Even though with that 70 built in, they're still only about 10 million over the threshold right now. Now they they need some pitchers. You know, they could use some help in the, on the infield a little bit here. It sounds like they're about to make a move with the with the Yankees to free up some 40-man space. There's a lot of moving parts still here. But I, I guess in a perfect world, they could handle a 70 million. Let's put it that way. They're not going to. It sounds like it's going to be more about 45 million. Um, so please, bear with us. Once we have all the incentives and the MVP stuff and the if there's some pitching incentives built in and some escalators built in and doesn't sound like there's any options. doesn't sound like there's any opt outs. Sounds like a clean 10, 10 year contract with probably 15 years tacked onto that with the furl. So I'm, I'm excited to get to that point. We're not there yet. It's not an official deal. He hasn't taken or passed the physical. The Dodgers have not opened up his 40 man roster spot. A lot of moving parts in that regard. But to me, the most important part of this contract is TBD. So we're going to talk about some of the surface numbers here and just some context stuff, but understand that where we live right now with this contract is very, very early. And I, uh, I have a lot more to get to and a lot more to talk about with it when more of those details become available. I want to quickly talk about the angels, um, who are going to get lost in this conversation. There were some melodramatic Instagram posts of them taking down his mural and what a sad day for the organization. Um, shame on them. I know we've been down this road before, but it is the right time to say this again, maybe for the final time. It is indefensible that they didn't trade Shohei Otani. It's indefensible. They should have done it before 2023. I get that they wanted to give it one last hurrah. They thought they had a decent enough starting rotation and maybe a healthy Anthony Rendon was a decent enough one through four. And all the same suspects came back, right? Trout had an injury. Rendon had seven injuries. The starting pitching broke down mid year and they had an, an opportunity at the deadline, which we all know, even the greatest player in the history of the world, isn't going to give you much back at the deadline, but this guy would have given him something. All right. And, and the response from the angels then and today is that you don't understand how much money this guy makes us just by showing up to the ballpark. That stinks, okay? If I'm an Angels fan, I'm pissed as hell with that answer. Pissed. I don't care that the owner makes more money, okay? The money that was made from August to the end of September by keeping Shohei Otani is completely useless in comparison to what two or three or four prospects could have been brought back, even if they're B's and C's. This organization is so ass backwards and remains ass backwards. Okay. They had the absolute unicorn at their disposal. They could have gotten an, a, a, an unbelievable haul for him in December of 2022. They know it. And instead they gave him a $30 million salary right now, this month. They really missed out on this one, all right? 
they had a false positive belief that they could actually get this thing to the finish line or maybe woo him into a situation where he would stay forever. Not only did that not happen, he basically left the locker room <laughs> in the middle of August. You know, injury stuff, certainly frustration. I, I know there were a lot of people, and, and I got wrapped up in it as well, who thought there was a chance that Shohei never wanted to leave Anaheim and would end up back here. I don't think that was ever even a possibility at the end of the day. And if you want to say that it was reported, so it has to be true, what other reporting out there <laughs> was unbelievably wrong in the past 48 hours by Shohei Otani? How about all of it? All of it was wrong. Okay. And at the end of the day, it was the only team that we all thought it was going to be at the price that all the math said is exactly what it should be. So, we could have just started at square one, never left, and we would have gotten to the same result. That's the Otani sweepstakes. So for all the people out there that were begging for this big shindig, right, where it was city to city and it was this huge invitational for baseball to show off their superstar, he basically walked out the door, took an Uber up north for about 35 minutes, and the same doctor that did the surgery on him this offseason you know, the Dodgers doctor was probably going to be the one who gives him the physical for his next 10 years. That's how easy this was for Shohei Otani. Yeah. The Blue Jays offered 600 something. All right. The Cubs maybe offered 500 million. Doesn't sound like the Yankees and the Mets even got a phone call. So I don't know where they and the Braves and those other teams who were interested, Seattle, even fell on this. And hopefully there's some good reporting that comes out that actually tells that story a little bit. But I don't want to lose the Angels because they didn't have a chance. <laughs> right? And he made that pretty darn clear for a guy who never shows out emotions and never does things that with calculation would put him in the spotlight. And there was a moment in August of 2023 where he had to give up on this organization for whatever reason the reason they were handling his injuries, the reason they were talking about him in the public. Clearly, that's not something he appreciates. And he walked away from this team. And I don't think we should forget that, right? Because not only did they not get anything back from him outside of some compensatory draft pick now with the qualifying offer from the Dodgers, but this guy's gone forever. And what'd they make? A couple extra million for a guy who basically didn't play after the deadline, that's a shame, all right? It's a real shame that this team, this Angels organization continues to not be self-aware enough to do what's right for them from a baseball standpoint, all right? And I know Artie Moreno has percolated with the idea of selling this team and then he backtracked for whatever reason, didn't like the price, right? Nobody really wants to be the, the second LA team. You know, we've seen that before with the Clippers, Clippers until Steve Ballmer came in and basically said money is no object. They need that kind of owner, right? And they need an owner who's not just looking there saying, what makes us the best business, not what makes us the best baseball, all right? Because it's been backwards in, in, that, in that organization for quite some time, and you are wasting generational talents. Shohei Otani made $42 million with the Angels, with the Angels. Again, we don't have the structure yet, but I'm going to guess he's going to make more than that combined in 2024 as a member of the Dodgers. 
based on how we saw the Betts deal structured and the Freddie Freeman deal structured. Okay, a couple of surfacey numbers. Those three players now, Betts, Otani, and Freeman, account for $1.2 billion, guaranteed. Assuming everything $700 million is base. In terms of the contract itself, it's Otani at 700, it's Trout at 426 and a half, it's Betts at 365. It's not even close, all right? Nor should it be. And we tried to convey this with math, we tried to convey this with words. Everybody out there saying, you know, he's a dual player, but he's, he'll never be pay, paid like a true dual player. Well, you're wrong, all right? Because the, the difference between Otani's contract and the second contract, Mike Trout, who for all intents is the greatest hitting, you know, hitter in the league is $273 million, right? There are only 13 contracts on the books right now, larger than $273 million, only 13. So whatever his value was as a pitcher and whatever his value was as a hitter have added up to two unique contracts that blew the field away, all right? This is completely fair. And you can say the injury's gonna be a factor and he'll never be worth this and they'll never make this back. And what if they never win a World Series? He's on arguably the most valuable franchise in the, in the game. I know the Yankees technically are, but the Dodgers are certainly in this conversation now, especially with Otani. Fascinating to see where that goes, by the way, after this year. <clears throat> so arguably the most valuable team in the game with arguably the best lineup in the game now and a real chance to be in the postseason all 10 years of this contract. There's no reason to gawk at this, you know, and, and you can say the 700 is insane. It's what it took. Somebody out there, probably the Blue Jays, were, was at least in that vicinity, right? I think one of my favorite tweets when this thing came down was, uh, I believe one of the big wig reporters contacted the Blue Jays, probably the Blue Jays, and asked, where were you in terms of the, you know, your offer versus where this thing ended up at 700? And the, and, and the quote was, well, we certainly weren't at 699. <laughs> in other words, it's that thing where, you know, you're going back and forth in an auction draft and somebody bets $25 for Saquon Barkley and you come back at 30 and then they offer 50, right? Because they don't want to bet anymore. They just want to win the player and get it over with. To some degree, it seems like that's what the Dodgers did. The, the part that's going to fascinate me, and we talked about this quite a bit with cousin Dan, is are, is there any kind of condition built in, right? Is there anything that says if he doesn't pitch X number of, doesn't start X number of games or doesn't pitch X number of innings throughout a year that any of this is coming back or is it truly a straight 700 million and they're just going to say take it or leave it and we'll, we'll deal with what we have to deal with and backfill the rotation to account for the fact that we never, never got him as a pitcher or we got him for a pitcher for, you know, a minute and a half. Because I think I think I don't to expect to, this is going to be five plus years of Otani pitching on the, you know, as a starter. It seems like too much. I'd love it. Baseball would love it. The Dodgers would love it. I, I think it's a lot to ask. But 
if they've paid Otani $700 million to be a DH for the next 10 years, I, I don't think it's insane. And I know I'm not supposed to say stuff like that because I, 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 you know, I come from a value proposition. I, I try to market and place these players where they actually belong versus where gigantic checkbooks can just be thrown out like this. What this guy brings with him, the individual that he is, the work effort that he has, I think the ability to inspire. And oh, by the way, Otani plus Betts plus Freeman. All three of these guys are in this exact same conversation. All of them. Winning pedigree, infectious smiles, super positive attitudes, unbelievable work ethics. Hell, Betts is now a second baseman, right? Because it was just the best thing for him and the team. Everybody's going to play ball here, right? These are not, this is not the cast of characters where you have to worry about ego, where you have to worry about, you know, if, if this is a basketball reference, I need the ball all the time. That's not what this is. They are, they are putting a billion dollars into three players that couldn't be more prepared for sharing the spotlight, being in the spotlight, and contending for World Series every single year for the rest of their career. I give the Dodgers a hell of a lot of credit here. Now, the writing was, has been on the wall for 18 months. We, they told us out loud, we're not going to make 2023 stick too much because this is what we have to worry about. They had already done this once with bets. They reset themselves a little bit last year, and here they are now two years later, all in on Otani, and they won. They won the auction bid. So the $70 million a year in terms of the average salary, again, take that out of the CBT conversation, take that out of the tax salary conversation, because that's going to be a different number, and that is TBD. But the average salary alone looks like the contract stuff, right? $70 million a year, Verlander and Scherzer, at 43.3 is the second highest. Aaron Judge at 40 is the second highest position player. Okay, so literally $30 million more. So again, Shohei Otani versus Aaron Judge was pretty neck and neck there for really two and a half seasons. And we had this conversation at one point. If he was never going to pitch again, you could just start with Aaron Judge's contract. You could just start there, the nine for 360, the $40 million a year. If you just do that here and you say, all right, he's a $40 million position player, designated hitter, essentially. Now he's a $30 million pitcher. Is that really crazy? No, not at all. And in fact, if I filter this rankings tool by starting pitchers right now, based on 2024 average salaries, a $30 million pitcher would make him seventh behind Cole, behind Strasburg, just ahead of Rodon and Sale, okay, behind DeGrom, Scherzer, and Verlander. I don't think he's the best pitcher in the game, and certainly not with this arm injury and the surgery. He may never get to that level, but he's a top eight pitcher financially, and he's essentially tied for the highest average paid position player in Aaron Judge at 40 million, if we break it down into 40 and 30, which I think is completely fair. So to say that 70 million a year looks insane, it does. I showed it in the rankings and I posted it everywhere. Okay, he's 70, 43, 3, 40. That's what it looks like right now in Major League Baseball. And it seems insane. 
but he's doing two things simultaneously and he's doing one of them at an all MLB level and the other one at maybe in second team all MLB level. So 40 for one and 30 for the other every year, it just makes a lot of sense. What we can't believe is that somebody actually did it. Somebody actually valued him at that, right? Because for the most part, owners have been able to come down and say, sure, technically you're doing all this, but we, we don't operate this way. Okay, we don't do one plus one equals two because how long is one plus one actually going to equal two? Well, this guy is so above the norm that you had multiple owners, right? And not small town teams trying to, you know, reinvigorate their franchise. The big boys coming to the table saying, oh yeah, all that thing where we generally suppress things, that's out the door on this one, right? We think you're this as a hitter. We think you're this as a pitcher. We're going to do one plus one. And here's our number. It makes a lot of sense. Generally, logic doesn't come to come into play here with major league baseball contracts, right? For a long time, it was just throwing baloney at a wall. <clears throat> now, certainly analytics and things like, and sites like ours are driving a, a more intelligent conversation, at least I hope sites like ours. And we're getting ourselves to a point where, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez's contract is basically exactly what our math says it should be. And Aaron Nola's contract is basically exactly what the math says it should be. It's been a lot of that lately where the numbers are driving dollars. And the conversation I was having with you and one of the reasons I had to do so many unique things and so many, had so many unique conversations with Otani is if I just give you one plus one, I can tell you where we should be. And I, I did. But I had to cover my base and say, I don't know that there's an owner out there that will do that. I don't know if there's any one single person who's going to have a check sit there waiting for Otani the pitcher plus Otani the hitter. Right? Generally, it, it would be way more creative and it would start at 50 million and maybe you get yourself into the 60s if you do some things. This guy has transcended not only the game, but the business of the game. And that's amazing. <laughs> All right. Because these are not owners that like to give in ever, ever. And I'm talking to you, Artie Moreno, all right? Because you wouldn't even give in for two months on this guy. You wanted to squeeze every single dollar out of that, that man's value to your sweet business, okay? And your marketing business and your memorabilia and merchandising business as humanly possible. And he gave up on you. And you got nothing for him. And that's a travesty. Okay? At least the Red Sox got something for Babe Ruth. And now it's basically a box of cigars. But something. They were smart enough to at least get something. <laughs> okay? The Dodgers have their man. It's actually a fair price based on what Otani has been and can be for a decent number of years. It's not a 15-year contract to lower the CBT. It's a 10-year contract. That's probably going to be a 25-year contract from a cash perspective to help the CBT a little bit. But instead, the Dodgers just said, we're going to take it on the chin in 2023 so that we can handle this contract for the bulk of the rest of this decade. They did it. He's here. It's official. And they are dangerous. And they are fun. And the only thing I can say about this from a Major League Baseball standpoint is Good for the Dodgers, good for the Blue Jays, good for the owners who actually 
understood that he transcended things. And I hate that this guy's on the West Coast. <laughs> not, not because I'm not, but because you know how this works, right? All the networks and all the time slots are going to be struggling like hell, like we are with LeBron right now, right? It's really difficult to get LeBron in a time slot that works for the whole, the whole nation. It's tough. It's one of the, been one of the benefits of this in-season tournament, you know? It's going to be really hard to get the Dodgers in a time slot that works for everybody, but nobody's going to not try. All right, this team is just too magnificent. Luckily, you have teams like the Braves. I think the Yankees, maybe even the Mets, if they win the Yamamoto Sweet Stakes, who will have matchups with the Dodgers, right? We'll have matchups with the Padres, who are interesting now, San Soto, to kind of keep that West Coast, East Coast fun. And scheduling-wise, you can, you can work some things out in the next couple of years. But that's the only gripe I have, and it's not even a personal gripe because I'm going to stay up and watch. But it's going to be a hell of a lot tougher for a lot of people, for the masses to stay up and watch this guy on a regular basis. Look, it's nothing new. He's been in, on the West Coast his whole career. That was the only benefit for me and for most of baseball for the Blue Jays winning this thing out, not to mention, you know, you turn what the NL West has had into what the AL East could have been, especially now with Soto there, would have been fun. It's a minor thing. For now, everything else about this contract is fun. It's correct. And it's exactly where we thought we were going to be, I don't know, two years ago, three years ago even. Uh, that's it. Off the soapbox on this. I am absolutely inundated to dive into this thing more once we have more. But again, take the 700 for one it is. 700 and the 70 million per year cash. That's in, all right? As far as we know, that's the base value that's in. But the deferral stuff does matter. The CBT stuff will get refreshed. We'll have a better handle where the Dodgers stand for 2024 and beyond at that point. We're going to talk signing bonuses, I'm sure, because this is California and bonuses are taxed differently and all that sort of thing. So, there's a lot going into this, right? We see this a lot. Betts had a huge signing bonus, $65 million. A lot of the, the hockey and the football players out there, huge signing bonuses to account for things like this. I mentioned this with, the, with Canada. It's even worse with Canada. All right? Canada's got like a 53% salary tax rate. But if you play your cards right with how bonuses are structured, that can drop down to 15% on a signing bonus. So if you look at all the Toronto Maple Leafs players, huge signing bonuses for them. Many of the Blue Jays that have come in over the years have structured things that way. So it'll be a mini version of that, I think. Maybe won't be as one-sided. But deferrals also help with tax. So if deferrals are paid and the player lives in a different area at the time, there's a world where the accountants can set up a chain so that it's non-tax now and it's taxed at the time it's paid. And then if that player resides in you know, Florida, right? not a bad place to retire, or Nevada, di completely different tax rate on that year's deferral payment. So super nerdy, you know, in the weeds stuff. But this is the, these are the kind of things that come up right now when you're talking about $700 million, you know, an agent's about to get paid an unbelievable amount of money. The state and the federals are about to get paid an unbelievable amount of money, right? And so, so is Shohei Otani, of course. So 
there's a lot of moving parts. When we know more of those moving parts with this contract, we'll have version 2.0 of the Shohei Otani experience. All right, jumping ship to the NFL for just a little bit here. We'll get out of here. Uh, the league made a statement yesterday that most of the big reporters moved around, that generally they like to know the upcoming salary cap by now. They are holding off for some last-minute revenue to come in. Their message was simply, business is booming, and we expect this thing to be at or above $240 million. Uh, we saw this coming. Track has been operating at 240.5 for 2024, basically for the past calendar year. I think we're I think we're gonna be a little low. I think this thing's gonna hit about 242.5, uh, maybe a flat 242. Uh, we've simply done the adjustment based on what recent adjustments have been. But if they feel like they have to go north of their calculations a little bit because of the streaming money and the gambling money, I completely get it. Most of these leagues are trying to temper things and keep things on a flat um, percent increase. Again, though, we're at 240.5. I think this thing might get near 242 by the time January rolls around. Once that hits, we'll know franchise tags, transition tags, restricted tenders, and rookie contracts for 2024, which is going to be pretty important, um, especially with some of these teams at the top, where I think maybe three or four of these top eight to 10 picks could be on the move, right, based on who's there right now. So there's a, there's a lot to, to, to stem from that number. And again, we generally like to know that number by now. I think we know within a mil, a million and a half of where this thing is going to be. And for now, we're going to hold fort at 240.5. So any of the cap space, any of the allocations you're looking at on spydraft.com for 2024 are based off that 240.5 million number, just to kind of give you an update based on what we have here. The commanders, the Titans, and the Patriots lead the way with cap space. And if I had to give you five guesses, would you could could you tell me who had the least amount of cap space? Of course, it's the Saints with the Chargers and the Bills also at the bottom of this cap space list right now. A couple of those names that are interesting, the Bills. You know, a floundering team, up and down, inconsistent, trying to sneak into the postseason. A lot of interesting names, though, right? We talked Von Miller. We talked Tredavious White probably falling off this roster. Some free agents to talk about. And then the Chargers. We've mentioned them a lot. A huge loss yesterday. Probably the end of the season for Herbert with that broken finger. I don't know. Has the head coach been fired already by the time I've been recording this? Maybe. If not, definitely the end of the year. Just a lot of changes and not a lot of cap space, right? The, they, the plan would be to restructure Khalil Mack. And Joey Bosa and Keenan Allen, if he's going to stay and probably move on from Mike Williams and just to get yourself cap neutral. Those are the moves you're making, right? And then what do you do with Corey Lindsley and Derwin James and some of these players that you've locked in and probably want to keep for the long term, but, you know, new, new set of eyes coming in. You never know where things are headed. Uh, this is a, an expensive roster, and I don't think they're a winning roster. And that's a bad that's a bad recipe. So fascinating that they're the second lowest cap space for 2024, despite the fact that you know they're going to be drafting pretty nice right now, top ten right now. I think it is. Here's your current draft update: Chicago from Carolina at the top. I don't see that changing. Carolina is one in twelve now. The Patriots just ahead of the Arizona Cardinals. 
That's going to be a neck-and-neck battle. The Commanders at four, the Giants at five, Tennessee at six, the Bears again at seven, Vegas at eight, the Jets at nine, and the Chargers at 10. We're going to have a lot of talk about this because some of the quarterbacks that we thought were going to be at the top may not be at the top. The Heisman winner is going to have his name in this conversation at some point in time, Jaden Daniels. Do the Bears need a quarterback? I don't think the Cardinals want a quarterback. Do the Commanders want a quarterback? Will the Giants pull the trigger on a quarterback this offseason, knowing that Daniel Jones is fully guaranteed? Will Tennessee break away from Will Levis and, and, and Malik Willis immediately and go for a quarterback? What is Vegas doing with Aiden O'Connell and a pretty expensive roster around him? And what did the Jets do, knowing Aaron Rodgers probably only has one year with them, and they're in the top 10 for 2024? It's crazy fascinating, and uh, we got plenty of time to get to that, but just a quick salary cap update here for the upcoming season because most of our attention now is focused to the offseason. I believe my next step is tight ends. I've spent a bunch of time on future guarantees on quarterback contracts, the 2024 running back market, the 2024 wide receiver market, all those live on spotrate.com. And I'm going to dive into the tight end market next, and it's pretty darn thin. So a lot of that work is going to be bubble players. So what happens if Travis Kelsey actually does retire? What happens if George Kittle needs to become a cap casualty, et cetera, et cetera? What kind of market can we gather up? Even though generally speaking, tight ends coming out of the draft have been one of the better positions, right? We're seeing teams reach in the first round. I think there's a kid out of Georgia who's going to be a high first round pick. So how will that play into the fact that the free agent pool might be bland if if not non-existent, but I will spend some time on those names and that'll be the next piece on spottrick.com. Keith Smith's working his dogs off with expansion news out of the NBA. They're actually starting to talk about that. Keith's been all over it. If you want to know about the rules in the NBA, about how expansion will work and how the draft works and how do you protect your players and all that stuff, Keith has has already done that homework. That's live on spottrick.com. I can tell you we're working on some fun little tools that may complement this whole experience. Now, now knowing that the NBA is actually serious about it, we, we thought it was coming, and now we're pretty darn positive that it's coming. So again, some of that literature is already live. Uh, Keith's always also been doing a lot of work as we ramp up kind of close to the trade deadline, right? We're, we're in December. Christmas is generally when things get rolling. The in-season tournament kind of jump-started things earlier this year. We kind of know the teams already, which is fun. Like the West is pretty established with who who's a who, and who might be a who, and then who's definitely not a who. You know, you're going to see names like Donovan Mitchell and the, and Julius Randle and those kind of names pop up pretty quickly here. But th- there's going to be a pretty healthy list for this January deadline that um, once restrictions lift, could make for a really, really fun winter with the NBA, especially having this experience, this tournament experience. We've seen some players maybe play out of, them, out of themselves a little bit, which prove they can do that at playoff time. And that's a unique little wrinkle that I think came with this tournament experience. So I know Keith is diving down that list right now, and uh, we will get to it soon and, and have Keith on to talk about names that we should be watching for through the Christmas experience and then in January with the NBA. All right, for Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition 
of the Spot Track Podcast. <laughs>